too late. Our problems are too great. Things are too serious at home for us to ever have a marriage the way we used to or the way it should be. Some will put it this way, I cannot change my habits this late in life. It's just too late. Some will say, if you only knew the effect of my childhood on me, I just can't be a good wife or a good husband. You don't know the traumatic event that took place in my past. And listen, there are some traumatic events that can affect people. Some will say, you don't understand the pain and resentment that's built up. We'll never have a relationship like we used to. Some will say, but I can't help the temperament God gave me. And I say, and I say it kindly, I'm not overly impressed with any of those excuses. Sometimes this myth, often this myth develops due to the ignorance of the problems that other marriages have. Why did God ever say, confess your faults one to another? Why did God say, confess your faults one to another? Because it sure is comforting to know that other marriages have problems. That's why he did it. Why is the Bible filled with problems from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation? Well, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 tells us that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have what? Hope. Hope. Oh, your case is hopeless? Your case is hopeless, husbands and wives? You've spent too long in certain patterns of behavior? You can't change? You can't get out of the rut? There's too much pain and resentment that's built up? The Bible gives us hope because the Bible is filled with godly characters who had great problems who overcame them. And that's why God's put us together in a church to confess our faults one to another and admit our problems. When I hear about a couple admitting a failure they had in their marriage, and some of you couples love me enough and are scriptural enough to do that with me, and you know who you are, and I love the hound out of you, whatever that means. (laughs) Some of you have told me about times where you felt like your marriage was going to break up. It almost was. Maybe it did for a few days. And then you worked out your problems. I love to sit and hear that. I mean, my wife and I have had our tense moments in 12 times 365 days. That's a long time to live together, especially with me. I love to hear it. It's comforting. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. There have been some sessions in this church that I've been privileged to be part of where there were confessions of faults, discussion of solution, and prayer. For marital improvement. That's exciting. It's, listen, you know, what do I think when I go home from such a meeting? I hear about some husband winning his wife back, loving her into greater submission and loyalty. I don't know if you men all have the same spirit I do or not, but I've got a spirit in me that says, no way is that man going to whip me. No way am I going to have sat there that evening and let my wife hear about how another man won his wife into submission through loving her. Guess what I'm going to do that night? I'm going to go home and make sure I love my wife better than that man loves his wife. There's no way I'm going to let a man put me to shame in front of my own wife. You want to talk about provoking to love and to good works? That is true provoking. I'm provoked. This guy's showing me up. 
happened in this church. I love it. And I thank you, brethren. And I pray to God that we didn't have a three-tier church. I wrote Brother Tim recently, and I'm way off the subject, sort of, but I don't care. I wrote Brother Tim a lengthy letter recently telling him about our church here and the different tiers that exist in this church. There's three tiers. Does everybody know what a tier is? Three steps on a ladder. There's three categories of members in this church that are so visible, a blind person asleep could see them. There are members that warm chairs and do nothing else. They derive no benefit from the church and they give no benefit. They are worthless in the fullest sense of that word. There's a second tier. I don't even know why the first tier attends. It is beyond me. I sit at home. I beat my head on the wall wondering why they even come. I mean, if you're not getting anything and you're not giving anything, what are you doing here? That's one tier. You couldn't even tell me their middle name or where they live. They're so seclusive. There's a middle tier. They love the doctrine. They love the scriptures. They love to worship God. They love to be with us on Sundays. But they're limited in the amount they open up with other couples. They're limited in the amount of hospitality they show. They do not get down and confess faults. They do not talk about the practical issues of life. They're superficial brethren. That's tier two. They get a little bit of benefit, and they give a little bit of benefit. And I say both of those with my nose turned up. It's not much. Then there's a third tier, and it's the tier I wish the whole church was at. I have preached and preached and preached for everyone to get to this tier. And it takes work to get there, and it takes some humility to get off your mighty horses and to get out of your glass houses and admit some faults and to confess your failures and your weaknesses, your temptations to one another, and to get down where we all live and talk about our relationships with each other, with our children, with our husbands and wives. And that's the tier where people have great benefit from being a member of this congregation and they give great benefit to others. And when I said I loved a certain group of people, and I love all of you in a way as your pastor and as your shepherd and overseer, but there's a group that is in that third tier that is extra special because they've helped me. I'll give and I'll give and I'll give, but I also need to receive sometimes, and there are some brethren who will talk. And I know by listening to some of you who are in that third tier and who know about that third tier what it means to you. It is the Greenville Church. It is. The, Green, the Greenville Church isn't me. My, if that was the Greenville Church God. Take the candlestick right now. That's absurdity. I am not the Greenville Church, and these services are not the Greenville Church. It is fellowship among the families of this church, and it takes work. Some of you don't work at all, and some work very little, expecting everyone else to come to them. And some of you work at it. You get down, and you admit your problems. I'll admit them. No one will confess weakness faster than I will in this church. And that's more dangerous for me to do that than it is for you. But I'll still do it 
because that's what the Bible teaches. I don't want to play games. I don't want to have a church like the First Baptist Church. I don't want to hear that your family's doing fine because you're lying to me. We've got problems, and we should get down and talk about them. I don't want to hear that you and your wife are getting along great. And it's been great ever since we got married. We were just made for each other. Uh-huh. We all have our problems, our fears, our temptations. There is no relationship in this church that's hopeless. But do you know what the greatest source, the greatest solution for our problems is? Using each other and using the scriptures. That's how I got onto this point. The scriptures were given that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Of all people in the world, when we have a problem in our marriage, we have a problem with our kids, who should have hope? Christians. Christians ought to have hope. Christians do not live problem-free lives. That's one mistake. That's another myth for another sermon series sometime. Christians do not live problem-free lives. I mean, you want to talk? Christians will probably have more problems because they're trying to live a certain way in a world that lives a different way. They're probably going to have more. You're going to look at your neighbor and you say, oh, everything looks so great. Look at the other neighbor. Oh, and I'm a Christian. This is pitiful. Look in the Bible. Look in the Bible. Godly men. Lots of problems, but they talk about them. The Word of God is filled with it. Let me remind you of some little examples. The women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 1. That, I get comfort from that. I like telling that to other women who may have guilt about past sins. There's comfort there to give hope that God can use a Rahab. David. You know, you want to talk about a hopeless marriage? How do you think Bathsheba felt when her baby died? Adultery? Husband murdered by the man she's now married to in a very gross, covert way, and the baby died. You want to talk about a hopeless situation? What did she get out of that marriage? A son that ruled Israel. The man that God loved. And she was taken care of in her old age. While all the other women, the virtuous women like Abigail, were cut out. There's hope in the Bible. I hate showing frustration in the pulpit. But sometimes I get frustrated wishing we didn't. I don't like three tears. I hate it. I beat my head on the wall. Figure of speech, brethren. I'm not there yet. I wish all of us were in that tier. There have been some times in this church that I'm a sh that I don't even want to tell the whole church about it sometimes because it is so good. It is beyond anything I ever imagined could take place this side of heaven. And it hasn't happened here. It is down-to-earth confession and discussion of problems and opening up and being intimate one with another, praying together, just exactly what the Bible teaches. This isn't something we've invented. This is something the Bible teaches. And that is the Greenville Church. I wish all of you were participating in it. 
Some of you are too shy. Some of you are too proud. Some of you don't spend any time. You don't think it's worthwhile to ever sit and chat. Some of you don't know how to be friendly. You don't know how to listen. I've pre- Why do you think I preach all those sermons over and over and over? Why do you think I spent all last Sunday reviewing some of the things on love? Because I'm constantly worried about those three tears. I wish we were all one. It's too late and too serious to expect things to be great. You know one of the best things that can happen for a couple thinking that? To sit down with another couple who have had the same problem and they've solved it. And they can give you some advice on how to solve it. Or you know what? It's almost, it's almost as good. A couple that sits down and admits we have the same problem they haven't solved it. There's comfort in that. There's comfort in someone... You, the couple goes home and the, the man's thinking to himself... I'm not a reprobate. I'm not Jack the Ripper disguised in the Greenville church. This other couple that I thought didn't have any problem, they've got the same problem. And that doesn't excuse sin. That provokes. That comforts. You know what the word comfort means? It means I'm not beyond hope. Others have had this problem. And you're able to work at it with a more positive attitude because, brethren, the worst marriage to try to help is the marriage where they've given up. When a marriage has given up, you can't help them. And you give up when you don't have hope. But the Bible gives hope by admitting all the faults of the men in it, and we ought to give each other hope through comfort by confessing our faults one to another and praying one for another. Thank God for some that did it in this congregation. My marriage is better today than it was eight weeks ago. And my marriage is going to be better eight weeks from now than it is today. And my marriage will be better than any brother who exhorted me at that point in time. I wouldn't let it dare be different. And I hope all of you are saying the same thing. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. People... People sit around and think our problems are too much. Our problems are too severe. Forget it. We've all been there. We've all been there. We just need to talk about it. You know, you've never been in a church that talks about it. I know that because there aren't any churches that talk about it. There aren't any churches that practice New Testament religion. There aren't any. They think the assembly's the church. This isn't the church. You are the church and your relationship with one another. Listen, I could do a lot better sending out tapes, meeting with your families one-on-one, dealing with your specific level of knowledge and your specific needs. God ordained a church, and I've preached two messages. Let's not preach them again. That the purpose and life of the church is for the body to work together to enhance every member of that body and to build itself together collectively. Not to hear the Johnny Crosby show. And I've been through all that, and some of you are missing that yet, and some of you are barely tapping that yet. Some of you are utilizing it, and you know that's what the church is all about. Oh, Jesus Christ said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What he commands for a proper marriage is easy and light. Don't ever think it's too hard. God, Jesus Christ, would never require of us anything too hard. He said it was easy. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things 
through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you believe that or not? If Christ is able to give us strength, and Jesus said his yoke is easy, we've got to dive in and do what we've heard. If you think you're doing already what you've heard, I think you're probably deceived to some degree. It is work, brethren, and it's going to be work today, and it's going to be work tomorrow, and none of it will come naturally. We naturally will not love each other and build our marriages as we should. It is work, which means pain. Four-letter words. If you are not hurting with pain every day of this next week, you are depriving your spouse of something. Because if you're not suffering any pain, then you're not truly submitting or loving. Because they both require sacrificial giving. It's going to take work. But it's not impossible. It's really easy. It's really enjoyable. Once you get started. I've been very honest and open with this congregation on this subject. I have a tendency to take my wife for granted, get involved in my activities, and be in another world 24 hours a day. I did that for 12 years, and I'm not doing it any longer. And it's been the preaching of the last seven weeks that's done it to me. The preacher really stepped on my toes. And I'm going to make the changes. And I hope to God that the rest of you will be with me. And I have tried to set a stage from this pulpit by opening up and admitting a few things about my own marriage. Some of you have heard a whole lot more. Yes, I've been your pastor. Yes, I'm supposed to be an example. Yes, I've had a decent marriage. Precious. I don't want a decent marriage. I want a maximum marriage. Amen. And it's going to be maximum. And it was maximum. And it's maximum right now. It's going to get better. Brethren, let's guard against these myths. Let's have a real church. Some of you have been married longer. You could help the others. If you've got a scriptural foundation for your thinking, if you're realistic, and you can get off your high horses, shake down your pride, and get down and admit some problems. We've all had problems. If you say you haven't had any, you have nothing to offer, again, you're lying to me. We all have a lot we can share with one another. And listen, I don't care if you don't have solutions. Just admit your problems. The Bible doesn't say confess your faults one to another and then give all the solutions necessary for their correction. It's, it says confess your faults one another and pray one for another because you don't know what to recommend. Sometimes, except just hearing they had a problem that's like the problem I had provokes you to greater zeal. I thank you, brethren. I pray that God will bless us in this church to maximize our marriage.